0: Hello. Uh, accomplished and uh, very, very attractive, especially in this light. Have you done something? You I think that's a new outfit. Anyway, stop
1: flattering the audience.
0: But oh, they just get me so wild. Uh, so after we recorded this, we realized I went into this thinking I could talk about three topics for about 20 minutes each turns out we can talk to them about them all night long. So instead of one episode with three topics, we're doing three episodes, one topic each, which I don't know, sounds like the way it should have been planned in the beginning. Right. But I, uh, uh, poor planning prevents, I forget, prior planning prevents poor performance as a Graham from drumline said in high school
1: that's that's a that's a solid solid uh solid thought there um, he, was, he
0: was a navy kid that was some kind of yeah. navy thing the five p's um i will
1: also note though that the, the central concept behind each one of these three episodes is um finding um beauty in um mashups of logic with absurdity Um, and, and it is, it is that central concept. Um, the, uh, one of the, one of the, uh, artists that we talk about, Alfred Jarre, um, discusses it, uh, as a concept called pataphysics. And honestly, uh, having now kind of looked at the landscape of the three episodes that we're going to do, I would say that the idea of pataphysics and, um, the idea of, uh, taking that which is absurd and n- ham jamming it mishmashing it and making a potato salad of it wi- you know making taking the logical taking the absurd taking the scientific uh taking the ridiculous taking the overtly l- violent and bloody and mashing it all together as a word jumble but a word jumble that makes logical cohesive sense as long as you don't think about it critically (laughs) is the central concept to uh, all these, all of these three episodes. And that applies to the written media um, as we'll, as we'll talk about with uh, Jari with performance media when it comes to the futurists and then when uh, music, which will be our, um, our third episode. So um, it's, it's finding beauty in the absurd uh, and it's, it's finding, Patterns in the absurd and taking that ability to find that beauty and ability to um, map patterns to the absurd and presenting it to the world and saying, we've done a lot of thinking about this. Aren't you proud? (laughs) And the rest of the world going. "Uh." (laughs) Counterpoint.
0: It's not that at all.
1: Oh, okay, All right. I'll shut my
0: apper then. I I have no evidence to support that claim. Uh, no. Yes. No. Well said. Absolutely well said. Um, and we continue to say variations on that uh, because we're uh, super smart and uh, very impressive. Your mileage guys. may vary there. No, no, yes. no. We're 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 the smartest. We're your favorites. Uh,
1: yes, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um, we have so, fourteen degrees.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so another uh, another three hundred and forty six, and we have the whole set.
1: That's true. Yeah.
0: The Gotta uh, catch
1: them all.
0: <laughs> we uh, should probably shut up and let the first yep. episode start. So this is going to be, despite what we say, it's going to be just Alf- uh, Alfred Jari, and then yep. in two weeks we'll have. Uh, uh, some other bunch of weirdos. And two weeks after that, we'll have another really awesome weirdo. Yes. So, yeah, three historical weirdos coming at you. And uh, here is the first episode. Take it away, me, from two hours ago. Hey, my name's Dan Grubb, and that is Aaron Fletcher Smith. And this...
1: I I guess.
0: (laughs) And this is the Dan and Aaron Rama Music... That's my, that's my
1: preview. That's my preview right there. That was
0: very, uh, very rhythmic. That, yeah. that sounded like the last uh, video I was watching on YouTube.
1: <laughs> well, I've been, I've been accused of having the uh, faintest semblance of rhythm. That's true. Uh, that's true. The, yeah. That, None of which is true, of course, but. Yeah, yeah. Those,
0: uh, those warrants have expired by now, right?
1: Yes, that's absolutely true. Yeah. All of my, uh. All of the uh, licenses that I had to have rhythm have have all completely expired. So, uh, <laughs> I have to go take that test again if I want that.
0: All right, so what you got for us, man? Yeah, this episode of the Lycorama, Rama, we are talking about three old weirdos. Um, I guess I'll do them in...
1: So you and me... And the baby makes three.
0: Friends. We happy in my blue. No, and uh, before we get to that, uh, just a quick note that uh, this episode of Lycorama is brought to you by the smell on your hand after using a dish sponge. You, there's oh, so man. many purposes for it. Uh, it can deter muggers. It can help your dog recognize you from a long distance away. Um, There's a a zillion uh, uh, lifestyle embellishments and improvements that you can make with the simple smell of a used dish sponge on your hands. So be sure to get a dish sponge and wash even a single dish right now. And you will have that scent follow you all day long. Just go to the smell on your hand after using a dish sponge slash for 20 percent off your first smell.
1: Yeah, I, I washed a series of dishes um, with one of those uh, old kind of used washed up uh, sponges. And, you know, I found myself uh, smelling my hand, um, uh, you know, about a half hour later and, and thinking, you know, is it is it metallic? Is it a metallic smell that I'm smelling? Is it is it the smell of mildew? Maybe it's a combination of the two. See, that's the lasting impression that comes from using an old dish sponge. Um, you 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 can't get that type of aroma anywhere else. That's true. Not at a Yankee Candle. Nope. Um, not, not at a confederate, confederate Candle. candle. <laughs> no. We had the same idea. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and that my friends is what we call in the industry a joke jinx that actually means that dan owes me a six pack of coke when it's a joke jinx it it updates the the amount of cokes that are owed it's a junks yeah it's a A A (laughs) junks yeah it's
0: a mega jinx so anyway uh (laughs) yeah we're talking about some old weirdos today um our last episode about Mike Patton sent me down a rabbit hole of Wikipedia and uh, interviews and uh, in the Ipecac back catalog. I ordered uh, some, I, I got a book and three CDs in the mail the other day and devoured them immediately. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, there's it's so true, many weirdos actually. out I, there. The last
1: time I saw Dan was he was on the Ipecac event horizon. And, uh, you know, one year passed for every five years of his. Yeah. And Dan's actually 82 now. It's so uh, weird. Because he went down that black hole. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm glad to have him back. You know, I'm glad that they sent Matthew McConaughey out to, to save him. Yeah. So welcome back, Dan. Thank from, you. From the Ipecac black hole. Thank you.
0: 2051 is a bad year.
1: Mm. Anyway. Anyway.
0: Um, so, yeah, I... Uh, So I went down this rabbit hole and I was like, oh, well, as first it started out like, oh, I remember this band from 2005. What are they doing now? Oh, they're doing this. Whoa, I'm going to read what they say about. Oh, well, they think this person's interesting. Oh, well, that person thinks this person's interesting. And it ping pongs me back in time.
1: Right. And as any good research does, right? it's like, oh, this is mildly interesting. This is mildly interesting. This is very interesting. Yeah. Oh, my God. What am I looking at this?
0: And you yeah, yeah you yeah. ended up with like the someone who put an album out two years ago said that someone was cool. And that person said someone was cool. And they went, you know, they studied this and they were influenced right. by this. And you ended up and, you know, it's you're reading some weird uh, religious satire from the 1500s that's been translated right. twice, and you're like, okay, hang on. I I don't think I've eaten in two <laughs> days. Oops. <laughs> right. So I did that, um, and among the many weirdos, I mean artists, that I found, hmm. uh, and, and quick shout out to some of the uh, wonderful Ipecac artists uh, that I've been listening to nonstop. I was like, oh, yeah, these guys. Oh, yeah. Him. Oh, yeah. Her ruins right. JG Thurwell. Steroid Maximus, Avon Kang.
1: Heck yes, JG Thurwell. Yeah, man.
0: Uh, Flat Earth Society. That's a fun record. Uh, yeah, uh, I got uh, JG Thurwell. Uh, did a new one last year that I got and it's much more orchestral. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, it's called Oslo 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 I think it's called. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I dug it. Uh, there's like a couple tracks that you can listen to on the band camp. That's where I, I ordered the physical CDs. Cause I was like, if this, me and Mary share a, uh, music account. So I was like, she doesn't want this popping up in the car when she's driving around. <laughs> well, of course <laughs> like, she does. I mean, I'll you know. get the CD and have, have it for me.
1: Right. Right.
0: But, uh, Anyway, um, so yeah, I went down the rabbit hole, and these three were three uh, weirdos that I liked extra much. And I think maybe I'll just go chronologically. Okay. Why don't we do that? That'll be that'll make All sense. Right. Um, Sounds good. So the first one is a French weirdo from the 1890s. Mostly the 1890s by, uh, his name's Alfred Jari, J A R R Y. Do you know him? Uh, okay. he did pair Ubu, those plays.
1: Uh, I, I'm going to be honest with you. This is one I don't know. Okay.
0: Um, I mean, the, there's no reason you should. Um, okay. the, there was a, right. an indie band in like the eighties, I guess eighties mostly, uh, called pair Ubu. They were named after this character. Um, So it it wasn't that one I was talking about, but to sort of get the idea of who this guy is, um, he was sort of an early modern, this is like pre-modernists. He was a French playwright, and he hung out with a bunch of like artists and musician friends. Um, And he was sort of early absurdist. Um, Okay. And he went on to inspire, you know, some of the Dada folks were into him, stuff like that. All right. (laughs) Um, and so pair Ubu is basically the, the, well, the main play Ubu Roy, which is French for King Ubu is, uh, the story of sort of this, this dumb, pathetic man, baby who for some reason is King And he invades all the surrounding countries and he, uh, he continues invading. And, uh, it's basically like an absurd black comedy of incompetence and death and destruction. And it's like really funny. Um, and there's, you know, lots of like poop jokes and stuff along the way. It's just, it's, it's like if an intelligent, it's kind of like ax cop, like an intelligent well, right seven-year-old you've, you've
1: already said that there's poop jokes, poop jokes in there, so yeah. You know, I'm ready.
0: <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah. So you know, if you like ax cop or um, artsy fartsy crap, then Pear Ubu, uh, Ubu Roy is a fun play, and it's like it's really short. You can read it in like an hour. Okay. All right. Um, but. So that's sort of the one that he's most known for, Alfred Jari. Mm -hmm. Um, But a few years later, he wrote this play called Exploits and Opinions of Dr. Faustrol, Pataphysician. Now
1: that one sounds more familiar.
0: Okay. And it is super cool. By the way, Pataphysics, he made that up. It's totally fake.
1: Okay. Right. And so <laughs>
0: it was written. This is,
1: this is getting to my alley. I, yeah. I, I like it when people create a, a completely make believe uh, uh, things that sound like they're somewhat plausible. Oh, okay. good. Then you'll right, love this.
0: Right. Um, yes. It reminds me of it's in the same vein as like Tristram Shandy and uh, Jonathan Swift stuff like the Battle of the Books, Tale of a Tub, that sort of stuff with okay. maybe a little Baron Munchausen thrown in there, that, like, impossible energy. <laughs>
1: right, right, right. Okay, Um okay. So he,
0: he wrote it in 1898. It's a play. Right. I Or no, it's not a play, never mind. Um, it is, it's set up like... It has a frame story of this guy Faustrol uh, has a warrant for, basically, repo. Of all his stuff. And then the plot is like the notes from the case, basically. Okay. All right, neat. So yeah, See, he wrote it in 1898. He died, uh, and it was published posthumously in 1911. Um, oh, wow. Okay. It's pretty neat. It's uh, I don't know how easy it is to find a book of it, a print copy. Uh, right. I found a PDF of it online. You can find an e book of it. Uh, fairly easily. So, yeah. Um, So, basically, I don't want to, like, do the whole plot summary, Mm -hmm. but basically, uh, he's this dude, Dr. Faustrol, uh, is deeply in debt. Uh, The equivalent in modern money is, like, between two and four million dollars in back rent for his house. Right, okay. uh, and it's only for three years, so he's his rent is like a hundred thousand dollars a month in modern money. Oh my, okay,
1: all right. so Got it's it.
0: already it. like okay, all right, we're goofy. <laughs> um, and so they the court said they can take the equivalent um amount of stuff to pay off the debt. So he takes twenty-seven books. Uh, from his vast library and these 27 books are enough to pay off these millions um and one of oh, them uh, is Ubu Roy naturally uh, um
1: oh uh, so so this is almost beginning to sound the way that anyway n- never mind I, I, i'll I'll reserve.
0: Uh, okay no As, you, go go for it chime in
1: uh, are, so well i don't want to jump ahead but uh does the story then jump down into Ubu Roy no
0: or no, that's okay. the only mention uh, of Ubu Roy. Is okay, got it. This, he, he says in his other book that it's a fantastic book and everyone, it's worth all this money.
1: Um okay.
0: The rest of the books that are seized are, uh, they were written by his friends or okay. they are classic sort of satirical, absurd books, but uh, there's a lot of references to his friends and his, you know, his like colleagues who are, you know, artists and writers and poets and whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they, uh, they're getting the stuff and then takes a left turn. He shrinks himself like (laughs) you do. He just, (laughs) you know, you know, That's you just difficult. shrink yourself and the people you're with. Right. And he takes right, right. these 27 books and he pulls mm-hmm. out, like, he pulls out, I think it's, he pulls out, like, someone's beard from this book. And he pulls out, you know, the gloominess of this book. And he pulls out, like, these things that are not characters or people. So it's, he's, pulling,
1: he's pulling elements of the narrative out of the books yes. for use. Yes. Okay. And Nate. he pulls them Nate.
0: out of the book Okay. And puts them in this like awesome. a bag or something. And then <laughs> so him and the 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 bailiff lawyer kind of guy who came to take all the books, who is the narrator, right? The two of them shrink down into this sieve slash boat slash car. Okay. So think of like a colander, you know, like a okay. a pasta strainer. Right. Uh,
1: but it's, it's basically the flyboat from wonder pet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: And he lines it with some sort of wax or whatever. Uh, right. so that, and he goes into excruciating detail about how this is scientifically possible, right? Just so you know, except the shrinking, the shrinking is like, yeah. And then he shrunk himself down anyway. Uh, so that well, w-
1: I mean, we were just talking about wonder pets, so we all yeah. know that we 're in the realm of scientific plausibility
0: yeah. uh, so he treats it so that water can come in, but not no water can flow out through the sieve, but it can 't flow in so now it 's
1: it 's a semi permeating membrane <laughs> uh, yeah it
0: 's a one way membrane, and okay, it has neat. like rollers on it so that it can drive on right. ground too, and so now they go outside oh, and they 're driving around. They're driving from island to island in this sea.
1: My dear lord.
0: But the islands correspond to Paris, where him and his okay. friends live. And they're basically all these islands that they go to are his buddy's house or his friend's oh, book okay. or someone's right. painting. You know. Oh, this is neat. Right. And they go around and right. all this stuff. And the whole time he's explaining how this is possible and how this is why this works and how they got here and he talks about how pataphysics is the laws of exceptions the science of the particular despite common opinion that science should be of the general so this is the exceptions don't prove the rules they make the rules so it's 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 heady abstract nonsense It, right, you're right, like, right, yes, right. yes, yes, Wait a minute, yeah. this is gibberish. Yeah, it's
1: come yeah, it's coming up with a pocket universe without going any further down the road of building out the logical framework behind why your pocket universe works. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah, oh, it's it's, it's, wonderful. it's
0: total uh Jack Kirby nonsense. Yeah, it's pinpoint. I was
1: also yeah, I was also gonna say it reminds me an awful lot of uh the the narrative construct for Doctor Who, where there's mm. there's a there's an awful lot Of um, the strength of Doctor Who is entirely built on whichever actor is playing Doctor Who at the time, being able to look at the femme fatale or the secondary characters and go on these very long technical soliloquies that tie 400 abstract concepts of nuclear physics and science and religion and astrology together in a, in, you know, a matter of like 30 seconds to, to a minute, you know, they got to deliver it as fast as possible. And then they got to end it with in the end, believe me, it will work. It's right. all timey, wimey and spacey, wacy. And trust me, I'm the doctor. Exactly. And, and it's, it's, I love that stuff. I love that stuff because it indicates that the, the writer is smart enough to give you, give you a knowing wink with the writing uh, without having to spend the time actually you know rifling through the, the the papers of of hard science to make sure that whatever they're writing is right <laughs> i love that stuff because i don't like to think <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right sorry i didn't mean to, i didn't mean to sidetrack you there
0: no 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 not at all is i that's why we're here we are here
1: all right. So we're on the flyboat. We with are. The we are going between <laughs> the islands of um, dudes,
0: uh, his, friends his cronies, houses,
1: right on the Sea of Paris, which I love, by the way. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah.
0: And uh, at, at, at this point, it might help if I just read chapter two in its entirety. It's not very oh, long. Uh, yes. It'll take a couple of okay. minutes. So this is all chapter right. 2 of Dr. Faustroll. Okay. Dr. Faust, and by the way it's Faust like the Faust myth combined mm-hmm. with troll like a, okay. a dumb monster. Faust troll, got it. Faustroll. Okay. So right. uh, Dr. Faustroll was 63 years old when he was born in Circassia in 1898. <laughs> the 20th century was negative 2 years old. At this age which he retained all his life Dr. Faustrol was a man of medium height or to be absolutely accurate of eight times 10 to the 10th plus 10 to the 9th plus four times 10 to the 8th plus five times 10 to the 6th atomic diameters with a golden Mm -hmm. yellow skin, his face clean shaven, apart from a few sea green mustachios as worn by King (laughs) Saleh, the hairs of his head alternately platinum blonde and jet black an auburn Mm -hmm. ambiguity changing according to the sun's position. His eyes, two capsules of ordinary writing ink flecked with golden spermatozoa like Danzig schnapps. My God. He was beardless, apart from his mustachios, through the judicious use of baldness microbes, which permeated his skin from the groin to the eyelashes and ate away all the follicles without any need for Faustral to fear that his scalp hair or eyebrows might fall out, since these microbes (laughs) attack only fresh young hairs. From his... (laughs) From his groin down to his feet, in contrast, he was sheathed in a satiric, satiric, you know, like a satyr, in a satiric Mm -hmm. black fur. For he was a man to an improper degree. Love it. That morning, he took his daily sponge bath of two-tone wallpaper painted by Maurice Dennis, with the design of trains climbing up spirals. A long time ago, he had given up water in favor of wallpaper. Seasonable... (laughs) Seasonal, fashionable, or according to his whim. So as not to embarrass the populace, he drew on over this design a shirt made of quartz fiber, baggy trousers of dull black velvet drawn tight at the ankles, tiny little gray boots with even layers of dust carefully preserved on them at great expense, for many months past, broken only by the dry geysers of ant lions a golden-yellow silk waistcoat exactly the same color as his skin, with no more buttons than an undervest, and two rubies as buttons for the breast pockets, very high up, and a greatcoat lined with blue fox fur. Almost done. On his right index finger, he piled emerald and topaz rings right up to the fingernail, the only one of the ten which he did not bite. And the line of rings was kept in place by a specially designed linchpin made of molybdenum screwed into the bone of the ungual phalanx through the fingernail. By way of a tie he passed around his neck the ceremonial ribbon of the great strumpet, an order invented by himself and patented to avoid any vulgarization. He hanged himself by this ribbon and a specially constructed gibbet procrastinating for a few quarter hours between the choice of the two asphyxiating makeups called white hanged man and blue hanged man and after cutting himself down he put on a solar topi which is a pith helmet so that's what you're talking about with this book that's that's how this book goes
1: (laughs) you know what this reminds me of (laughs) Uh, going back to a previous episode it reminds me of the storytelling version of the Turbo Encabulator. Yeah. Where it's, um, we're going to take as many uh, um, nonsensical concepts, thoughts, and, and uh, dis, you know, uh, jarring ideas, and <laughs> we're going to discombobulatedly kind of glue them together and the the sentences themselves will seem like they make sense right until you apply critical thinking to them <laughs> in which case
0: all bets are off <laughs> yeah it just collapses yeah exactly yeah, it's complete yeah, it's, but yeah like you can you it's can literally match
1: matchstick house
0: it yeah, all i love it could happen you can see it in your mind you can see right, right. the sea green mustache you can mm-hmm. see that he has ten rings on a fingernail and a special linchpin drilled through his finger to hold them on. Mm-hmm. But no, I love it. Why would anyone do that? It's 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 right. insane. An insane because person this wrote character this.
1: is insane. It's absurd. Yeah, right. exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, he also has a baboon. The third companion, the, the last companion on the trip, is a baboon named Boston Nag, which I saw translated different ways it might be like an editing um decision Uh, I saw that Mm -hmm. it could mean slang for like having a butt for a face um what did I I saw something oh I gotta look for it again if you just go to uh, Google Translate it comes as swimming hump,
1: whatever okay. that means.
0: Um, right. But uh, anyway, so uh, and oh, and also the baboon speaks French, but all he says is "ha ha." <laughs> <laughs> and whenever Boston Nag talks, the uh, Jari, the author, acts like it's like it's a proper quotation. Uh, saying uh, he summarized their fear succinctly, or uh, he decided not to include the baboon's full quotation because it would, you know, to to save time or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of impossible uh, images, a lot of impossible situations, and uh, one clever trick that. Uh, he does is whenever they talk about a plant or an animal, um, Jari often uses the Greek or Latin words for them. So it has this very academic, technical um, quality right, to the right. writing.
1: Right. Because anytime that you use Latin in that way, it adds this level of like faux maturity to what you're describing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And it's, it's, It's very, it makes it sound very uh, philosophical, very scientific. Mm -hmm. This very, Mm -hmm. very strange, silly man's goofy story of impossible things. And, you know, this is sort of the age of nonsense. Um, You know, I guess Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass were decades prior. But, um, you know, uh, it was sort of between them between sort of Alice in Wonderland and like the 30s where you had real screwball nonsense in the comic paper in the comic book uh the the funny pages and you know Marx brothers movies and all that stuff uh right. for that like 60 70 years you had just super super smart nonsense right um um, some of these words when like when he talks about what kind of rock is around, you have to look it up to know what he's talking about
1: mm, yeah. um,
0: and that you know having to sit there and have a dictionary open with you or or you know Wikipedia or something to to reference what what are you talking about? Uh, you know, building your own footnotes. um, It's something that like, it's like what Ezra Pound did that sort of self-important, you know, Ezra Pound's cantos are just the most Mm -hmm. oblique impossible to understand unless you have a master's degree in the classics and you're fluent in ancient Greek, you know, (laughs) it's if you're not Indiana Jones or his father, then you're lost uh, and and Jari does a, a baby version of that, you know, twenty years earlier, um, right? But for a joke, and that makes it so much more satisfying. Yeah, because at absolutely. least you get a smile out of it, unlike Ezra Pound. Right, you're just like, oh yeah, <laughs> life is bleak. You're right.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. The something else I love about it is. And again, going back to stuff like Tristram Shandy, Jonathan Swift, it shows um and like you were saying, the if you have the the verb and nouns and adjectives and adverbs and conjunctions, if they're all in the right mm-hmm. order,
1: right.
0: You can do anything with words.
1: Yeah. You can exactly. say,
0: I fell up. Done.
1: Right. Right. I
0: fell up. Done. You did. You did something impossible.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that is something that he does this, he does throughout this whole book that I just absolutely love. It's so silly, and you catch yourself going through these like philosophical um, quandaries and and philosophical mm-hmm. debates, and then you're like, wait a minute, they're talking about, uh, you know. How how is it possible that, uh, you know, that you can shrink or that, uh, you know, the schematics of a of a a colander that floats on water?
1: Right. What the hell are you describing? This is impossible. Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: it's thought experiments. It's complete impractical impossibilities. And then Mm. he turns around and there'll be just cartoonish violence. Uh, at right. one point, Captain Kidd appears and they're fighting <laughs> with him and he shoots the baboon and the, the baboon uh, gets his ear ripped off by the bullet and four teeth knocked out. And okay. he reacts by stammering, ha ha. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's been a bad day, but this happened.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and then at one point, Faustral takes his sword and an ink that he made of gunpowder and gin and he uses it to put a tattoo on the baboon's forehead that says Bostonag Papio cynocephalus," or Bostonag okay. genus and it's the genus name, Baboon, and the species name doghead. <laughs> so All right. okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then so it's just sort of this nice sightseeing tour. And then the end, it becomes this bizarre pataphysical screed. Um, he, they meet, they meet this aquatic Bishop. Uh, he, he, maybe he's a fish man. Maybe he's a Mm -hmm. merman. They, he's, he's this aquatic Bishop. Uh, and he has, um, he has a scaly miter hat and a tentacle that's shaped like a cross. Right. Um, and <laughs> this, this is just so weird. This scene with him in the, in the watery Bishop, the, the Bishop's sons are drinking they're they're guzzling beer and drinking beer and Faustroll eats five hams in one bite. Mm-hmm. And the Bishop, <laughs> the Bishop, Uh, I'm I'm quoting, and there's dot, dot, dots, so I'm skipping some of it, but... Yeah, yeah. The bishop refreshed himself exclusively with fresh water and rat's piss from a decanter of gold (laughs) beaten as thin as the wavelength of green light served on a... So, it's...
1: (laughs) This is cool, though, because it comes back to that same thing where it's like you can have enough of an understanding of the scientific universe to make the each sentence fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah. Without having to spend the time um, peeling the onion on it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's great. It's and absolutely the, great.
0: And the tray that he's eating it off of is uh, it, it was flayed fox fur and apparently to flay a fox was slang for barfing in in front mm. in France at the time. So he's drinking okay. water and red piss out of a gold decanter on a tray made of puke. Right uh then look, like this, you do the bishop kept rats at enormous expense. <laughs> just I love he'll throw in that that's the second time he's thrown in that right. little detail at at great expense. <laughs> it's just such a funny little petty, insignificant, snobby, mm. dumb, but earthy, real it 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 grounds it. all this nonsense becomes grounded that it's a great expense, but also it's rats. You don't pay money to have rats in your house. Right. Let alone drink their. It's, it's nonsense. And it's this intelligent, scientific, poetic prose to describe vile obscenity. It's just disgusting. It's a disgusting scene.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, there's a little bit of it reminds me of, um, a bit of it reminds me of uh, Thompson's writing, where sure. it's, let's, let's be absurdist in the content that we throw in, but then since we've gotten everybody's attention, I think I can get away with being really disgusting, as long <laughs> as the words that I use to describe how disgusting the scenario uh, is, are very fancy words. Yeah, which is a lot of how like Thompson got away with it by mixing uh you know his descriptions of um blood guts gore you know people uh uh shitting out of all orifices um (laughs) as eloquently as possible yeah that he could like kind of mix it in with the writing and if you weren't paying attention you'd skip over the fact that he just said that you know you know, ex was leaving every orifice at a rapid velocity. And then you go, wait, did he just say that person was shitting from everywhere? You know? Right, right.
0: <laughs> and it, it's that sort of. Um, it's similar to like Mark Twain, where you have the. I think part of why he's able to get away with it is not just the prose ability, but the. Yeah. He balances it with this romantic idealism. It's always. Right what he wishes America was. Right. And right. then the disgusting putrid sewage that it is in, you know, yeah. at the Kentucky Derby or in Las Vegas or, mm-hmm. or, you know, going down the Mississippi, if you're Mark Twain, you know, it's, Right. it's that it should be this, but on, you know, you insert uh, human nature and you get this instead. Right. Um, so, yeah, uh, Faustro is full of this. It's, it, yeah, it's in that same, it sort of spans the um, the earthy, gross-out satire um, of your Hunter S. Thompson, your R. Crumb, minus the obsession with butts and boobs. Yeah. Um, with the sort of highfalutin philosophical satire of your Jonathan Swift, your Tristram Shandy, uh, stuff like that. Your your Don Quixote. It's yeah. it's it's a fabulous, fabulous book. And it's another you know, it, it's not very long. You could read it in, I don't know, three hours maybe. Um it's absolutely I absolutely adore this bizarre weird book. Um, oh, and, and the end he goes full, like Descartes nonsense. If Descartes was a raving lunatic, that's like the last chapter of this book. He, he gets into like the geography of reality. And if you thought the, uh, the earlier stuff was like, oh, grammatically it makes sense, but it's absurd the end of this book, you're like, you, you need a seatbelt. Cause you're like, Oh my God, what is right. going on? Right. It's, uh, it's, it's something else. And, and it has the, the great thing that I, that sticks in my craw with philosophers. He has, uh, well, like at one get point it cleaned out <laughs> at one point, he's, uh, he's thinking about the geometry of God, like you do. And he says, Let us suppose God to have the shape and symbolic appearance of three equal straight lines of length A emanating from the same point and having between them angles of 120 degrees. Okay. (laughs) Sure. But also, that is so arbitrary. You just made that up, and you're using that as the bedrock for your philosophy, which I think you're supposed to have that reaction. Right, right. (laughs) Because that was always my... I got a, I got a, a D on an essay in philosophy because it was about Descartes and the cogito, Uh, and I was like, yeah, Kojiko ergo sum. I think therefore I am. That's brilliant. A plus love it. The next thing that he says is obviously a true fact is this is the nature of God. Okay. Hang on. Uh, God is by definition unknowable, so you're that's gonna be the bedrock of Western philosophy according to you. Let's slow down. <laughs> Let's Yeah,
1: right, right. Go back
0: to Kojito. That was good. <laughs> but, yeah.
1: I, yeah. I, I like that self manifestation thinking concept, but but yeah. how are you applying that to religion now? Uh,
0: yeah. Well, you know, politics. Well, right. You, you have to say God is is exactly this or else you uh you and your head uh, go in opposite directions.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, that's also an era where so much of the work that's actually being done has the church leaning over it, so it's like you might as well get your, uh, you know, um, your God uh, corporate sponsorship in there as fast as you can. these type of scholarly articles. Yeah, yeah.
0: This this treatise is brought to you by God, yes, God. Right. Try God today. Yep. Ooh, right. Um, the
1: works of Shakespeare are brought to you by religion. Without religion, <laughs> we wouldn't have Shakespeare. So here we are, hat tipping God. Um, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about as I listening listening to your descriptions of pataphysics is I I, I jumped over and I had a, a quick look on um wiki at the actual like um definition of pataphysics and then I I clicked around and. One of the things that was going through my head is that um, there are a bunch of, whether it's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe or whether it's in the Marvel Comic Universe, uh, because with many thanks to you and, and a few other friends, I've been diving deeper into the uh, Marvel Comic Universe recently as well. Oh, right There on. are a bunch of characters um, that are um, folks that kind of fit into the generalized like Magicians umbrella in in the Marvel universe, oh which yeah, yeah, could easily describe themselves as pataphysicists. right? Because there's a, a, especially when some of those like like when we we're um my, when my wife and I were watching Loki and and Loki and Sylvie were both describing some of their ways of just manifesting things into being. You know, oh, I taught myself. Well, how'd you teach yourself? Well, you know, I just you know I I knew that I had to know it, and so one day I knew it. <laughs> and he's like, hey, that, boy, that sounds an awful lot like pataphysics to me, you know. <laughs> so. Anyway, yeah, I just, I, I wonder how many, like, I, I'm now stuck wondering in the thousands of millions of printed pages across the, you know, Lee, Kirby, Claremont um, uh, wide universal landscape of, of Marvel-written comics if there's ever been a, Wink or a hat tip to pataphysics. I I I'd love to find that out now.
0: Oh yeah, that would be neat to find out.
1: Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you. I just no what a cool no idea. no not at yeah, all. what it, because it it fits it, it, the, it. I think that there are a lot of science fiction and and adventure storytellers out there in modern day that are creating characters that kind of rest their elbows on pataphysics without knowing that they are Uh, Mm. because this is such a niche thing that unless you stitched the two of them together consciously for the author you know the I, i you know the author would just be like oh i don't know they're just making it up as they go it's
0: like well right right
1: maybe they are however there is strictly a uh, scholarly field of scientific study that has been purely devoted to making it up as you go, but quite eloquently. May I introduce you to... That's when you open the wide double doors that lead into, like, you know, a a uh, a library that goes on forever. May I introduce you to pataphysics, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and I mean, yeah, he... Uh, Jari definitely invented pataphysics, and it is... As, uh, as it's, especially as you see it in the, in the end of the book, it's a satire of science, right? It's mock science, it's mock philosophy, but you can tell by the way he writes about it, um, that he just adores it. You, he, you can tell that he gets philosophy and science. He understands it. He gets metaphysics. He understands it. And he's so in love with it that he wants to make his own silly version of it, I think. Mm -hmm. That's me reading into, you know, maybe reading too much, but I think you don't write this unless you get it. Unless you get it and you want to sit there and live in that world for six months.
1: (laughs) Right, right, right. I mean, it's also one of those where the way that he's writing, he's obviously decided upon some set of predefined rules that can and cannot be broken in certain ways within this construct construct of pataphysics, right? Well, unless it's an exception
0: Because exceptions make the rules. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. So yeah. So that's that's the first of our fun little friends.
1: I love those.
0: Well, shoot. We might have to redo the beginning because we were like, we're doing three people, or we could just not.
1: We could just not. Okay. Because this uh, is a. Because it's midnight. (laughs) A that and B the entire nature of this podcast is that it's you know, we're doing it by shoestrings and you know uh if we've gotten to the end of the podcast and we're only doing two and the uh audience is disappointed, um fuck 'em. <clears throat> no, I guess I'm not supposed to say that. Um no, Well just... tune in next time. Yeah. Uh when we do the third <laughs> uh,
0: and yeah, and so that's uh Alfred Jari and the Futurist Cookbook uh one of whom i feel much better supporting um yeah but you know they're all dead so whatever Uh, right and they were from turn of the century europe so none of them had great ideas probably Um,
1: right
0: so yeah go look for those and uh yeah but
1: yeah come back for number three because number three is the one that i actually was able to do the background research on yeah and i like it
0: in two weeks time uh, it's going to be awesome
1: yeah exactly all right this has been the dan and aaron like Orama, and it has been beautifully weird uh dan <laughs> take us out
0: beautiful weird oh why you're so weird